0: Lots better than this, guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Thursday edition of the show, continuing to work through the 2019 NFL Draft classes. We're shifting gears to the NFC North, and today is about the Bears and the Packers, a couple of teams that do not like each other very much.
1: What's up, you big old bozo? Oh, man. It's great to great to be here on a Thursday episode of the Dudes. Just a couple of guys rambling on about a bunch of football players. It's what we do here on probably, probably probably the of guys,
0: Probably a bunch of guys that the listeners have never heard of.
1: No, that's not true. Not if you've been listening to Draft <laughs> Dudes. There it is.
0: Being you listen to listener. Draft
1: Dudes, you know who all these guys are. Not, not just fans of the Chicago Bears and Green Bay Packers either. Knowledge is power, and we provide that here on the dudes.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, shall we orient the listeners on the Bears and Packers? No, yeah. we shall not. There's something we need to do first. Oh, boy. All right. You have begun the magnificent journey of watching Game of Thrones. Yeah. This was a day I never thought would come. I, have to I teased it, though. I teased it.
0: You, you didn't did think tease I was gonna it, do
1: but it? No. No. I didn't. I, th- I did not envision you putting your money where your mouth is and starting this. <laughs> I never would have guessed it. And here we are. And, you, and you've gone through two episodes now? No, four. We doubled, we doubled <laughs> down yesterday. Oh You yeah. didn't even text me yesterday.
0: Yeah, well, I was busy watching Game of Thrones, Kyle.
1: So you watched two. So that means things must be going pretty well, huh? Well, if well, the truth, truth be told,
0: um, the wife, weird, that sounds weird saying, uh, she was, you know, I was prepared to make steak last night. And she wasn't feeling well. So our dinner plans got reduced into like me ah. making a, a quick salad. And uh, we we doubled down on Game of Thrones last night. So she's, she's a little more hooked. I was nervous after the first episode. I thought she was going to bail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we had that good hook at the end of episode two. And I feel like we're in a good spot. And I think she's got some energy about it, which is key. I'm enjoying it for Deep now. Uh, very thankful for you to kind of guide me through this
1: because there's a lot to keep track of. And um I'm anxious to kind of see where this goes. This is wonderful. I, I was expecting to come in and you haven't gone through episodes one and two, but you've you've doubled my expectations yeah. already. So yeah. it's it's good. It sneaks up on you that way because it's like they, they have a good habit of kind of ending you in a spot that you immediately want to start to binge to find out what happens.
0: Well and My understanding is that people are going to die early and often here, and I've got some people I'm rooting for. And I know that there could be some people that are in my same shoes that want to start watching Game of Thrones, and so I won't get too in-depth on the specifics. But
1: I've uh, I've got some favorites already. I was going to say, can you give me a big board of, like, your three favorite characters before we get into the the NFC North?
0: It's interesting because I did this after the first episode, and I don't know that much has changed. Um, Okay. I, I I um, I like Jon Snow. I like okay. him. I, I like Ed. Is it Ned Stark or is it Ed? I don't know if it's Ned or Ed, but Ned, Ned Stark. He's he's high on the board. The wolf cubs continue to be exceptional characters. Um. The the, the man, I don't know her name. It's the the blonde girl that was forced to marry that guy. She's Denivorous. really oh episode it was a three or four she just took a big turn and I'm a big fan I like how she stood up for herself finally
1: yep, kind of taking control of her own destiny
0: yeah bit. I like that her brother not so much and I don't like anybody with the last name Lannister
1: so we're four episodes in. we got a long way to go that's great you're you're at the beginning of a wonderful journey Jill, let's take a wonderful journey down the NFC North shall we yeah
0: so remember, the Chicago Bears, Khalil Mack is your first round pick, <laughs> and you also lose your second round pick. pick. So, with that out of the way. This is interesting, actually. Their, their top pick is David Montgomery, Kyle. This, this, the management of this Chicago Bears running back situation is pretty weird to me. Let's be honest here. Yeah. They had Jordan Howard. They had Tarek Cohen. Didn't feel like Matt Nagy knew what to do with Jordan Howard. He goes to Philadelphia, which is somewhat of a similar run scheme, and then they trade up for David Montgomery, who I don't think is all that different from Jordan Howard. So I don't know what's going on here with the Chicago Bears running back room. But it's curious to me. I think David Montgomery catches the football really well. I think that's an underrated mm-hmm. component of his game. He has really good hands. But I'm not sure stylistically they've, they've done much to get away from that Jordan Howard-style lead back. And so it's interesting. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that, but also this. I did a piece, my Six Pack Thursday – was regarding stat predictions for uh, rookie leaders and one of those was rushing and I had put Josh Jacobs as my my top runner, a rushing yard producer of rookies. And I got a lot of people that responded back as I asked for feedback and a lot of people said David Montgomery. Are you seeing this guy as like a potential eight, nine hundred yard guy in year one in the in the lead back for the Bears? Hell no.
1: <laughs> Hell no. So when I look at the David Montgomery acquisition, I feel very similarly Similarly to you, Joe, as far as his strengths and weaknesses, um, he's definitely not as straight line as Jordan Howard, but I think his best efforts are going to come in those kinds of situations. Uh, he's also got to contend with Mike Davis. Yeah, that's
0: what I was going to came over
1: that. from Seattle. Mm-hmm. So now will Mike Davis stay healthy? Probably not. So that's something that you need to account for. I think the biggest takeaway – is all of these Bears running backs right now, with the exception of maybe Ryan Null, uh, who's probably RB6 in a six running back room, uh, they catch the football pretty well, right? You've got Mike mm-hmm. Davis, Montgomery, Tariq Cohen, Taquan Mazelle. I uh, believe he was a UDFA from Baltimore or from Virginia.
0: Yeah, he can catch and then
1: Car- who? And then Kareth White, who was a seventh round pick from FAU. So all of their receivers are now pass catchers. So I think that's the common. Trend and thread. And then you've got varying degrees of power amongst those backs, varying degrees of explosiveness and short area quickness. And and Montgomery, I think, is going to be the backup to Mike Davis as the early downs guy, the short yardage guy. He'll get some some touches, obviously, he's a third-round pick, the 73rd overall pick. And it was right right where I valued him as a football player. I had him 68th on my board. He went 73rd. So I, I don't dislike the value. But, Joe, as you said, from a, a, a strengths and weaknesses perspective, we're a little bit too much in line with Jordan Howard for me to be like, yeah, Chicago nailed this first pick.
0: And I didn't realize how much they were going to value it, right? They only had five picks. They used two of them on running backs. Mm-hmm. After signing Mike Davis and feeling like they liked what they had in and Tarek Cohen, so uh, gauging the Bears' valuation of the running back position and what they're looking for,
1: eh, I'm still confused. Not to mention the Bears traded up for Montgomery, right? Yeah, they wanted him bad. So they traded 87 and 162, and also sent their 2024th to New England to trade up.
0: 87 and 162 wasn't enough to get to 73. They had to give up more than that. Gosh.
1: Huh? Yep. Yeah. 14 spots. Yeah, it's 87 162 and a fourth next year.
0: Fourth next year. That that was unnecessary.
1: Come on, And the, the Patriots sent back uh 205 overall in addition to oh, 73. Oh, okay. So thanks for the This is what the Patriots do this every year, you know? Thanks for the breadcrumbs. Jeez. How about Riley Ridley? Yeah. I was just going to say, aside (laughs) of that, Riley Ridley uh, got him at 126. Seemed like he kind of suffered somewhat from the Kelvin Harmon syndrome, right? Uh, As a guy that just teams apparently didn't think was very dynamic or explosive and that seemed to be of concern. But this guy's one of the best route runners in the class, Joe, and he's got good hands and... I think he'll be a much more productive pro. Now, I will say this, putting him in this Chicago room is pretty interesting because their wide receivers here now are Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller, uh, Corderell Patterson's in this room, uh, Riley Ridley. Javon Wims. Javon Wims, Emmanuel Hall signed as a UDFA. (laughs) So there's some nice competition here in this wide receiver room. I don't necessarily know what kind of market share. I know it's a popular word for fantasy Mm. guys. Market share, Riley Ridley's going to command. And I know market share was a concern of uh, folks who looked at Riley Ridley as a profile coming into the draft process. Um, but give him time. A you know, fourth-round pick, I think he's fairly pro-ready. I just don't think that necessarily with the the guys that they have at the top of the room, at least until injuries maybe whittle this down a little bit, Ridley might be a guy that I think it's more looks midseason once the the depth of their receiver group is stressed a little bit
0: yeah they got some dudes that can catch the football and, and a lot of complementary skill sets there it's an interesting room i really like one of the guys they got as a udfa alex bars man i watched his tape yeah. i thought he was a really good player i know he's got some injury concerns and he missed the last half of the season but you know this is the team they have that uh notre dame old line coach right from two years ago so he knows alex bars quite a bit and I like the idea of adding him as a, a, you know, right away as a guy that I think can be a quality backup on that interior. But I'm a little surprised that they didn't invest in in a younger developmental type offensive tackle because you're looking at Charles Leno and Bobby Massey as your two tackles. But who's your your main swing tackle options? Bradley Sowell and Rashad Coward, little concerned about the depth. Of the offensive tackle spot here for Chicago, and they went with a couple of developmental corners and a couple
1: of running backs to really fill out their entire hall. I mean, shoot, the the interior depth is not great either. You know, no, they, no. they got James Daniels, Cody Whitehair, Kyle Long. That's great. When's the last time Kyle Long played sixteen games?
0: No, well, that's I mean, that's what I was liking about the Alex Pars pickup.
1: Yeah. you know
0: that helps him a little bit there. I mean, but at the end of the day, he's still a UDFA, right? So you, I mean, that's not great insurance.
1: Well, I guess, I guess that really comes down to the medicals, right? There's yeah. no way you look at his no. tape and, and he's not oh, a draftable yeah. player. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I got to give a little love to one of their – their actually, their last pick, Joe. I came in late in the process and told you to watch this guy, Steven Denmark from Valdosta State. Dude's legit like 6'2", 6'3", 210 pounds, former wide receiver that plays corner. Has like one year of tape at corner. And he's really, really exciting. He's an explosive athlete. And for Chicago, uh, I, I think this is going to be a good opportunity for him to develop. They'll take their time with him. They've got Prince and Mukumara, They've got Kyle Fuller. They've got Buster Scrine as a slot. Kevin Tolver there as well. They took a, a Duke Shelley from Kansas State in the sixth round. So I wouldn't be surprised if Denmark gets practice squad status, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they ensure they keep him because I look at the like C B five, like you can get away with Denmark playing special teams because he's an explosive linear athlete. He's got a really big tackle radius and he likes to hit. So I would look for Denmark to make the team as the team's last pick. They picked him at 238. He was 215 on my board. I actually had a sixth-round value on him as a football player because of his ceiling. So really like that they rolled the dice on a high-upside guy in Steven Denmark at the end of the draft.
0: Ready to talk about the Packers? Yes.
1: All right. Yeah. Weird uh, class.
0: Weird, but there are a couple of picks that I just kind of love. Um, one of them that I didn't love was Rashawn Gary at 12. I think he's... I just don't know how he's going to fit into Mike Patton's defense. They're A very traditional three-four style defense. They just made big, you know, big free agent commitments to Preston Smith as well as Zadarius Smith to be those edge guys. You know, you're not going to ask him to two gap as a five tech. You know, like I don't know if it fits his defense, man. And he's a player that I was already pretty low on, but I thought, okay, we get him into a, a scheme like Miami's, like New England's, like Detroit's, where Houston. It's, Houston. Yeah.
1: All the New Patri- England disciples yep. right.
0: were, were those now, heavy can, hands.
1: Go ahead. Yeah. Real, real quick. Can you define low? You said you were low on Ray I'm just curious. Like I didn't value him in the first round. What do you know ballpark where you had him ranked?
0: Uh, I don't have my board up, but I, I think he was, he was probably somewhere in the, I, I would guess 40, 50 range on the okay. board for me. Um,
1: okay. So just to kind of get an est- estimation.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if you could use him as a an inside outside guy in an even front where you really just tap into that power uh, and that that athletic skill set to condense and collapse that pocket around the quarterback, all right, we we can make this work. I, I get it. Uh, what what are we doing here in this defense, right? Like, I, I mean, maybe you do some creative things and get him situations to to win one v one against an interior offensive lineman or or something like that on a on a passing down, but. I just don't know that I get this scheme fit, and it worries me. And this is a top 12 pick, right? I mean, they they chose for Rashawn Gary over Brian Burns, who I think would have been perfect for that defense. So I have good things to say about some of the picks coming up, but Rashawn Gary at the top was confusing
1: to me. Okay, so I'm assessing the Packers, right? We're we're reviewing this roster. This team right now... Has an estimated $9 million in cap space. You project forward to 2020. This team is projected to have negative cap space. Yep. Okay. This team up front, as you said, signs a Darius Smith. They got Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels and Dean Lowry. Well, Dean Lowry is an expiring contract. Mike Daniels is an expiring contract. Mike Daniels is making $10 million this year. Cap hits almost $11 He's 30 years old. He will be a UDFA, or I'm sorry, an unrestricted free agent next year. So I'm curious because the Packers kind of broke their trends and got super aggressive in free agency with signing guys. Is Mike Daniels on the chopping block? Are you going to ask Rayshon Gary to bulk up 290 and play defensive end? And that way you can keep Kenny Clark and, and have him be your nose? Have Darius Smith, Kenny Clark, Rayshon Gary. I'm just well, trying to trying to answer the question because I feel exactly the same way you do. Where it's like, man, not an ideal fit for what Green Bay has traditionally utilized up front.
0: You you basically just sold me on this being the last season for Mike Daniels and Brian Bulaga, right? Who are are both critical yeah. pieces of this football team. I don't see a course to resign those guys.
1: So not without some major restructuring, Right.
0: And they gave decent money f- to fricking Billy Turner to be their right guard. Right. That was one you could have done. Which without.
1: was weird, weird in itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's let's, I like the Packers. All right. <laughs> you got, you know, I love No, just Rogers. We're just, we're just getting yeah. in, the, in their
1: heads, right? Yeah. Now yeah. Here, here's the, here's the problem for Green Bay. Rodgers has a $32.6 million cap hit in 2020. Yeah. Worth every bit of that. Zadarius is 17 million. Devontae Adams, $16 million. Bakhtiari, $14 million. Preston Smith, $13.5 They might be able to buy themselves some wiggle room with whatever they choose to do with Jimmy Graham because they could save about $10 million if they $8 million if they cut him or trade him. But I digress. Let's talk about Darnell Savage, yeah? Yeah. Took him at 21. I was my 41st rated player. Uh, for complete transparency, taking Rayshon was a little rich for me. I had him 26th. On my personal board. So I didn't necessarily hate the value. It was a little rich for me. But again it was more of the. Kind of a tweener in between. Fits and schemes. And I think they're going to have to. They, I'd love to see him bulk him up a little bit. Get him into the mid 280's at least. So he can hang in those interior gaps. And really bang with guys. Uh Darnell Savage. Love the addition. For Green Bay. Uh, for Savage. I think it gives him a lot more flexibility. Getting Josh Jones. Into a, a true nickel linebacker type role in this defense. Jones is projected as the starting safety. He was a second round pick in 2017. And I like Josh Jones. I think Josh Jones has some nice flashes. But you compare him with, you compare Darnell Savage with Adrian Amos, and all of a sudden you're much more diverse and multiple in coverage on the back end. So Darnell Savage at 21 even though the gap between Savage's selection spot at 21 and his place on the board at 20 is greater than the deviation between where I had Rayshon Gary and where he was actually picked. I like the Savage pick more because you project it into their defense. This is an exciting young secondary, dude. you got Darnell Savage, Jair Alexander, Adrian Elmos, Kevin King, Josh Jackson. There's a lot of young talent that they're brimming with athleticism on the back end now. And Savage is just another extension of that.
0: Kyle, one of the guys you mentioned uh, probably their last year in Green Bay is Jimmy Graham. And the arrival of Jay Sternberger, Green Bay's third round pick, number 75 overall, the number 50 player on my personal big board, certainly makes that possible. I am a big Jay Sternberger Mm -hmm. fan. And, And, you know, we've... I've always kind of wanted to see a tight end like this go to, to, to Aaron Rodgers, and I think this is a great pairing. And, and Jay Sternberger, a true seam-busting type player, a guy that can really challenge the middle of the field, but when you get him on an outbreaking pattern, the way he sets up those breaks and really separates at the top of routes and how clean and how smooth he is catching the football in that type of a situation where it's it's not an easy catch often, you know, 10, 15 yards, outbreaking pattern to the sideline and kind of hitting that that throw like he he is so smooth and natural hauling that in he's good after the catch he, he i think in in 13, 12 of the 13 games Texas A&M played this year he had a reception of 20 yards or more and i just love what he can be for Aaron Rodgers in this Uh, in this offense now he's he's not the the greatest blocker in the world but you like his effort I think if he gets a little stronger like his effort and technique's not bad he's just not super strong at the point of attack but hey at the end of the day I'm excited about the receiving potential here with Aaron Rodgers and I think this is that true middle of the field threat seam busting matchup problem that can that combined with a very accurate thrower like Aaron Rodgers these guys can do some damage and I like this pick a ton
1: no question. I actually like the pick of Elton Jenkins yeah. for Green Bay, too. I was a little bit lower on Jenkins. I had a fourth-round grade as a scheme-specific starter. But you put Jenkins on this offensive line, Bakhtiari, Lane Taylor. Right now, Corey Lindsley's the starting center. I wouldn't be surprised if Jenkins pushes him for the starting job. Or one, one of them goes go. to guard, right? Takes well, you got B- Billy. They didn't pay Billy Turner to not start him. I think they like Lindsley, though. I
0: maybe it's I'm sure They T- do.
1: Taylor's a versatile guy as well. I mean, yep. But it, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, to have yeah. too many options, you know. And, and inevitably, at some point, you're gonna have an interior offense or an offensive lineman that goes down, and Turner has some experience on offensive tackle. Bless his heart. We hope we don't see him there. <laughs> but I don't think Green Bay paid Billy what they paid him because they paid him crazy money. I know. To not play. But but Jenkins, amidst that roll call of interior offensive linemen, I like what he brings a lot. He's not super dynamic, but you've got athletic guys on both sides of you if you play him at center. And uh, th- those guys can really help to kind of seal in and allow him to work into favorable positions. And, and when he's hip-to-hip on, on combo blocks or, or chip blocks and guys climbing to the second level, and he's really strong and stout when he's able to get you square. And being able to keep that interior of the pocket clean for Aaron Rodgers, have him have a bounce back here where he, you're able to keep him upright. It was probably one of the the, the situations that you could take Elgin and Jenkins in and put him there in the second round as a top 50 pick and I'd be like, yeah, okay, I can see it. I can get on board with it. Yeah. It's
0: funny. Uh, Jay Sternberger was 50 on my board and Elton Jenkins was 51 on my board. So a couple of oh, wow. those, yeah, those good values uh, in terms of the way things go for me. Uh, next guy I want to talk about is Kingsley Kiki. He was 108 overall on my board. He was drafted yeah. 150. And uh, you mentioned, right, Dean Lowry and Mike Daniels are free agents. And so with the, sat, the cap situation, as you detailed it earlier, you know, this is a forward thinking pick, a guy that can potentially step in and, and, replace those guys to some extent um, he's not super refined, but he is a really interesting blend of size, length, and flexibility. He's pretty athletic. And and I like his versatility, a guy that I think you watch him at Texas A&M, he shows that ability to line up inside and outside. And, and, um, if you can get his technique right, I feel like he does have that, have the value to be a pretty, pretty impactful pass rusher from multiple spots in, at the next level. And so this is a pick that I can get behind. It sounds like it's forward thinking. He has a year to kind of kind of learn behind some good players and really be a prominent piece of this defensive line rotation potentially in 2020.
1: No question. This is much more up up Green Bay's alley as far as I'm concerned, as far as like the personnel fit and the strength, yeah. skills and strengths and weaknesses. Um, looking over these last three picks, we talked about Gary Savage, Jenkins, Sternberger, and uh, Kiki. You got Kadar Holman in the corner from Toledo. Dexter Williams, running back from Notre Dame. Ty Summers, uh, linebacker, edge, kind of hybrid type defender from uh, TCU. Summers is actually my favorite out of that group. I had him inside my top 200. Uh, He was a fifth-round grade for me. He's a versatile kid, and he plays with a super hot motor. You think, like, the super poor man's version of Clay Matthews, Ty can at least rotate into some of those reps. Now, He's nowhere near as explosive as what Clay was when Clay was at his peak. But Clay hasn't been at his peak for a while now. So uh, I think Summers is a guy that can move around. Uh, You could play him inside linebacker, you could play him outside linebacker. Um, And I, I just love his football intelligence. He's very quick to process, he's quick to find the football, and he plays super hard. And those kinds of guys, I will always take flyers on when they're super productive. Because at the end of the draft, you either want to be taking very high ceiling potential guys or you want to be taking high floor guys that you know can contribute to your roster in some way, shape, or form. And Summers is one of those guys that I think maybe he's not going to be a 10-sack guy. Maybe he's not even going to be an 8-sack a guy a year. But Summers can play on special teams. He can tackle. He's got great football intelligence and he plays super hard. There's going to be spots at the bottom of your roster for guys like that every single year.
0: Yeah, I think he's a good fit for this team. The the, the concern with Summers, right, is injuries. A couple mm-hmm. of high ankle sprains, a couple of torn labrums. I mean, it's like every year he dealt with something. But, yeah, I mean, definitely you can see a, there's a path for him to to be successful and make this football team. Dexter Williams is interesting. They're, they're running back from Notre Dame, physical guy. He tested a lot better than I, I actually thought he would. Um, and he gives them a guy that, like you're kind of talking about with – with Ty Summers, like at a minimum, you feel like this guy as a depth running back should be able to help your football team on special teams. And so um, he's got his own share of issues with the marijuana possession, the handgun incident, the failed drug test, you know, a lot of different issues throughout the course of his season. But I feel like if you're looking for that power back, but a guy that really not only gives you that niche role at, at, at the bottom of your running back rotation, but he has that type of profile that translates really well to special teams. And so these are rosterable type players that that Green Bay took late in the draft, and so I, I really, I really like what they did outside of that Gary pick. The the next,
1: every one of the rest of their picks, I, I'm on board with. It sounds like they they stayed pretty true to your board, kind of top to bottom, with the exception of Raishon at, at 12. Yeah, yeah, he was 44 for me. I got my board up. So okay, okay, but Savage.
0: I mean, I was probably I had, had him 35 on my board. So I was probably a little higher on him than a lot of people. So, I I mean, I thought that was good value. Maybe some people thought, you know, Savage wasn't necessarily a true first-round caliber prospect, man. But watch his tape, especially how he fits into that defense, like how versatile that group is, especially their safeties. He can Mm -hmm. serve as as a nickel, uh, as a big slot. He can play low in in the box. And, I mean, I like his range. So I like that pick a ton.
1: Is it safe to say you prefer the Packers draft to the Bears draft?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and again, it's not just because of the, the better picks, right, the, the more premium picks. I just feel like they improved their football team more than the Bears did.
1: Sure, and again, that always comes back to the value of context, right, because we can refer to our rankings versus where the players picked all day long, but at the end of the day, if there's context and, and you can put the player through the filter that the team looks at their roster and what they covet and it makes sense, then you can just, I don't want to say gloss over, but you can understand the thought process and therefore you can appreciate what the team is trying to do. And I think that's really important, Joe, and we've been doing a good job of that as we've been going through these draft classes, uh, talking about ceilings and floors and traits and where they fit and where they don't. That And is the funnest part about the draft, in my opinion, is because there are so many variables, so many different sets of criteria, and we get to put those... Uh, those players, through each one of those filters once we know where the landing spots are. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of The Draft Dudes. We got the uh, two remaining teams, the NFC North, the Vikings and the Lions, uh, coming up tomorrow for Friday. So circle back, come on, take a listen, hit subscribe. If you've got hot takes for next week, hashtag takes on takes, baby. Get them in at Grinding the Tape and at the Joe Marino. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.